Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 264 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining me today. Happy holidays to all. We are uh, releasing this episode just a couple days before Christmas, and uh, the Mets seem to have bought themselves a nice uh, front office dispute as a, pro- as a present, hiring Omar Minaya, but we didn't know that when we recorded this episode. So first up... Chris McShane, the returning champion. Chris McShane comes back to talk about the Mets' offseason plans thus far and to talk a little bit about Adrian Gonzalez. Well, welcome back, Chris McShane. We are happy to have you back from your Southern Hemisphere adventures. And uh, we come back to a a new reliever for the Mets, uh, a a new catcher on a minor league deal. And, um, well, not much else, to be totally honest. So uh, I know you have some uh, Swarzak thoughts. Why don't we start there? I, I know you're pretty excited about this. Yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge move. But uh, as somebody who came into the offseason saying the Mets need to sign, what did I say, five? Maybe not five. 
four, three, some some number more than two uh, good relief pitchers coming back and finding out that they signed one is <laughs> maybe more than I expected them to do. <laughs> Um, well, they were in on a fair amount. I don't know how much of that you follow, but they were in on Tommy Hunter and Brian Shaw and a couple of other players. But you know, those players took bigger money deals for multiple for more years elsewhere. Swarzak took the the two year deal, which is I think going to be pretty much the lowest uh, number of years you're going to see a decent relief pitcher take this off season. Yeah, and you know some of those names were out there before I left. Uh, but it's interesting to me that a couple of them signed with the Rockies, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess if they did that, uh, maybe there's some appeal. Maybe they like the school system uh, <laughs> out in Colorado. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, for a guy to choose to pitch there, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there has to be some sort of component to it where you're willing to – sort of uh, sacrifice your personal stats because you're never going to pitch half your games in that stadium. Right. Um, so whether that's that they really just were offering the best money or you really just want to live in or around Denver, um, you know, what, whatever the case, there's got to be something to woo guys there. But it's, it's always interesting to me when a player chooses to go there on his own volition. Um, right. But uh, anyway, uh, from the Mets' perspective, uh, I liked a lot of those guys for them. I know there's still other guys who was, you know, out there, uh, even though a bunch of them signed. But Swarzak is a guy who I went and looked. I, you know, memory is a funny thing. When this off season was developing, and uh, I'd say that started developing in July for the Mets. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was starting to look at free agents and that kind of thing, and. Uh, last winter when they did, you know, almost nothing in the bullpen until they brought back Blevins and Salas, uh, would, you know, imagine uh, Salas was terrible, but if they didn't bring back Blevins, imagine how much worse it would have been. And it wasn't, it wasn't good. No, but, um, but I remember going through last winter and I think the relief market in general was much slower to develop because I went and looked back, uh, to see what I had written. But the series was three or four, maybe five parts. Let's find the Mets a, a relief pitcher. Right. And, and did, did you sort have of criteria that was like you wanted a high strikeout guy? You wanted um, – what was the other what were the other criteria you had for that? Yeah, I mean just like the standard components of, of fielding independent pitching. Nothing too crazy. Um, you know, I know, I know there's a million different advanced metrics to sort of achieve the same thing. But just – for a simple, like, let's go through this free agent list. I think I just went by strikeout rate as the primary thing and mm-hmm. then, you know, fill in all the other stuff and see and run down the list. So in my memory, I, I thought, like, oh, Swarzak, he's going to be a free agent. He's having a good year. I remember uh, bringing him up. I went back and looked, and what I had written was like, eh, maybe he'll be okay, but he's probably crap. But <laughs> that, that that you know, he was a guy who had been out there who was – you know, somebody who had not succeeded uh, too much in the past and then obviously went and had the season of his career. Um, And the name was familiar uh, because of the Twins connection, because of the, you know, the fact that he was with the Yankees, albeit for only, you know, 
uh, a relatively small number of innings. Uh, but somewhat familiar name. Uh, and he went out there and just, he, he was great. He, he, you know, he, he split the season with uh, the, uh, the White Sox and Brewers. Pitched pretty well for both of them. Um, you know, it, it's a guy who the track record of being a, a well above average relief pitcher for several years isn't there. But there's plenty to like, um, uh, you know, especially since his strikeout rate was uh, really the best it's ever been in his career. Um, you know, he just seemed to kind of do everything right. So, and, and depending on sort of which source you listen to, some people were saying that his um, his change from a sort of fastball changeup curveball guy to a fastball slider guy was initiated by Mickey Calloway. So when he was briefly with the Indians, so if that's the case, then you know that there is a comfort level there that is a nice thing to see. And on a, on a non-baseball note, did you happen to see his first tweet as a Met? I did not yet. I saw Noah Syndergaard's tweet about picking his nickname. Oh, okay. I did. Uh, no, he tweeted, like, uh, as my first... It's something along the lines of, uh, as my first tweet as a Met, I just want to say, hello at Jerry Seinfeld, hashtag Uncle Leo. <laughs> so, nice. Nothing wrong with that. That's a great way to start off his Mets, uh, his Mets tenure. So. Oh, and then he followed it up with a gif of Uncle Leo saying hello. Yeah. <laughs> ah, nice. See, the things... I, I was not yet back in the country. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the things you miss. Yeah. So that was, you know... If you're going to do something dumb on Twitter to endear yourself to me, that's a pretty good way to do it. Yeah. You know. So, it's a good start. It gets him right in there and with like uh Jerry Blevins. Exactly. Yeah. I can't I imagine he'll be the a, a frequent guest star on Hello Jerry, his uh his SNY mini show yes. as part of the pregame. Um So yeah, yeah, that is a nice thing. Um the the other thing that we kinda of talked about, I talked about with Aaron a bit last week because I believe the trade had just become official or was just about to become official, but you know, the Mets had attempted to acquire um Ian Kinsler from the Tigers. You and I had talked about this before you left, and uh, it came out today that the Tigers supposedly liked the Mets' prospect package better than the Angels' package, which is where he eventually went, but Kinsler would not waive his no-trade clause. Um, I find this significant because I can't believe the Mets could put together a package of prospects that people like. That that seems to be against the narrative that you're hearing about sort of the Mets' uh, minor league system at this point. Um I'm half kidding when I say that, um, but you know the the name out there that the Mets have now been kind of tied to is Jason Kipnis. Uh, and again, this is not a new name, not not a new name for them to be tied to, but sort of a, uh, a renewed sense of interest there. It appears uh, Kipnis, of course, played for the Indians last year. He is Kipnis is under more team control than a lot of the other players that have sort of been tossed around as potential trade targets. But he also had an injury. You know, a relatively injury-plagued season last year, so there is some risk there. Um, since we didn't get Kinsler, and since you weren't a big Kinsler fan to begin with, how do you feel about the Kipnis uh, possibility? Well, I think it's funny that just as I came around on Kinsler and said, huh, you know, huh, all right, there's something here. 
<laughs> Granted, you know, there were flaws with the 2017 season for him. But just as I, I was like, all right, I could do this. You know, I, I, I probably wrote him off a little bit too much over the last five, ten years, whatever. This guy's pretty good. He ends up with another team. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Kipnis is an – I'd be totally on board. Um, you know, I don't know how much they'd have to give up to get him. Not every season of his major league career has been great, but you know the most of them have been pretty good. Uh, last year wasn't so good, and and twenty fourteen wasn't so good. Um, you know he was a guy who had a ton of hype when he came up, uh, making his debut, playing his first full season, and you know it didn't really click right away. I mean he was fine, you know, uh, certainly a capable player, but didn't really, I don't know, garner as much attention, I think, uh, partly because he wasn't hitting that many home runs and that there's more to it than that, as much as I love home runs. Right. Um, you know, he hit six in 2014, nine in 2015. Uh, that may have unfairly made him seem like he hadn't lived up to his potential to some Um so, you know, you just look at his seasons and he's either been really good or like just above replacement level in any individual season. Mm-hmm. Um, in an ideal world, that's a guy who any team should be able to take on, especially a team that just shed a bunch of payroll and, you know, granted uh, they may not have all of the luxuries of playing in New York City. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's something that, shouldn't be prohibitive no so, it shouldn't be <laughs> you know he he's a guy who you know it's not like when robinson cano was out there you know before he signed with the mariners and whatever you think about the long-term implications and cost of that contract and everything you know when he hit the market he was legitimately one of the best hitters in the game right uh had extremely good durability and in Kipnis's defense, um, you know he's gotten up in the six hundreds, almost seven hundred plate appearances uh, in twenty sixteen. Right? Yeah. yeah, and then over six fifty a couple times, six forty one uh, in twenty fifteen. So you look at that; that's a pretty durable guy. You know, it's not it's not that Cano like one fifty nine, one sixty one. You know, one sixty one or two. Right. Games played type thing, but it's pretty close. You know, the, this is a dude who, uh, most years you're you're given maybe a day off every week or two, and and that's that. Um, so yeah, he's he's not on that level where you'd go, wow, this is a a franchise changing move. But I'll take the odds of him being, uh, you know, that several win by war, whichever flavor you prefer. Uh, Several win player next year and the year after over pretty much anybody else who is currently uh, in house with the Mets as a second baseman. Yeah, you know, I, I still tend to think with a lot of this that if given the proper opportunities, I don't think Wilmer Flores would be all that much worse offensively than Kipnis would be for next season. Uh, defensively, he would certainly be worse, but. You know, I, I'm all for the move. I, I think that, you know, I can tend to be a bit too um, 
too hung up on current Mets players and wanting to see them work out versus looking for alternatives out there. And I think the re- the realistic situation here is that between Cabrera and a third and a, a potential Kipnis at second, Flores would still get plenty of playing time. And yeah. first base, he may, he might even want to playing first base against right against lefties. You know, you don't even know. Um, but yeah, um, so so now that the winter meetings are behind us, you know, we kind of we've established second base as a target that. The Mets feel is important enough to pursue. What else do you feel is an absolute must on the Mets offseason wish list before spring training starts? So I'm still on the bullpen thing. I think two more, at least one more, uh, but ideally two more. And I think that's realistic. You know, I I think in January you're going to see Sandy Alderson do the classic Sandy Alderson thing, which is, you know, get somebody off the scrap heap in January and turn him into a halfway decent reliever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that uh, that would be nice. And then you know, um, I'm still uh, I'm not giving up. I, I I'm not saying I think it's actually going to happen, but I'm not giving up the desire uh, that they get a starting pitcher, uh, decent one. You know, just somebody. I uh, still think they can't go into the season with the same exact crew they had this year and expect things to be different. And, uh, you know, that that's really the foundation of it for me. Um, I, I'd throw first base in there as well. I, I don't think, you know, they can just go with Dom Smith and think everything's going to be great. Uh, you know, at least somebody who maybe isn't the best guy out there, but somebody who could be passable. And if it turns out the Smith, you know, blows him out of the water and, and takes the job away, then so be it. But somebody who's there, who can just sort of be a, a guy. Uh, you know who they're going to sign now, on, right? You think Adrian Gonzalez? Of course. He's the... Because they don't have to pay a dime for him because his salary is being paid by two other teams. Uh, they're going to sign Adrian Gonzalez, and he's going to be terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, he certainly was terrible this year. It, it's an if we're going to go for the guy who might be terrible at least, and I know he's you know thirty five and he'll be thirty six in uh, in May, but at least there was a long tracker track record there of being a really good hitter. Really? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think he could put that up uh, again, but it's not impossible. And I don't know who has the better major league hitting line next year, Gonzalez or Dom Smith. And they'd make the same salary. <laughs> I mean, that, that is a fair point. What I'll say though, is that I don't think that, I mean, look, the, the Dodgers and the Braves are two very different franchises. Yeah, for both of those franchises to look at that player and say, "Nah," says something to me, especially because they're both still paying him. So it's not like you know the, the Dodgers. Well, what did the Braves take on? It was something like four and a half million of his salary. Yeah, the the Dodgers have plenty of money. It's not this wasn't necessarily a a pure salary dump trade. It was certainly part of it, but. You know, for the, for both of those teams to say, "No, nah, I'm good," 
to me that that says that there is something really wrong with what's going on. Through. Hey, I'm hope I'm hope I'm wrong about all of this. I hope the Mets don't sign him, and if the Mets do sign him, I hope he hits, you know, three ten for them or whatever, whatever, whatever a a thirty five year old Adrian Gonzalez's best case scenario is. I hope he does that. I just can't see it. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair, and I I, I can't blame you. Um, I guess if I'm looking at it as either Adrian Gonzalez and Dom Smith or Dom Smith and um, whoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll take the the shot on Adrian Gonzalez. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, every team has to have the grand majority of things go right in order to succeed in any given year. Right. Um, the Mets are in probably everything must go right mode at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. You know, where some other teams might have – 70% of things might you know, have to go right or whatever the case is. Um, but, yeah, if you're going into it with this sort of, you know, we don't have a set payroll, we have to, you know, evaluate every move on an individual basis and not have an overall, like, cohesive strategy. And I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, uh, referencing Mark Carrig's article, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about the Mets' finances. But if you're in that situation, then I'd rather roll the dice on somebody who had a, a long history of being great, at least as a hitter. Um, right. you, you know, maybe the overall numbers uh, don't turn out the best war, but somebody who clearly was uh, really good at that part of the game, then I'm okay with doing that. Yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, because it's going to cost the team literally nothing, I have less of a problem with it. It just seems to me like it's this is the way that the Wilpons will say, like, look, we're not cheap. We got Adrian Gonzalez. You know, it just it just <laughs> seems like it's the lamest possible way. You know, they're not by doing this, they're not really signing a first baseman. They're buying a lottery ticket. Right, right. And yeah, the 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 real like what they should do should be something better than that. Yes. So I am just setting the bar at literally nothing, <laughs> and <laughs> and I'll I'll take the lottery ticket over nothing. And it, you know, if we go, if they were to, you know, if we play this out and they do it and they go into spring training, uh, he stays healthy. We know you can't really read into spring training stats at all, but he stays healthy. He looks good. Right, he's not like oh for spring training. Um, you know, you go into the season, he starts the year, and you give Dom Smith April in the minors, and you give Adrian Gonzalez April in the majors, and kind of reassess where they are at the end of that. I can live with it. Well, let's get to that Kerrig article. So, so Mark Kerrig wrote a piece this week for Newsday about sort of the Mets' overall finances and just the mess that is there. And uh, it was, I mean, would you say it was as honest and, I don't want to use the word harsh, because harsh implies that that it was unwarranted, but to me, this is the most honest I've seen a beat writer write about the Mets' finances in quite some time. W- would you concur with that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. And, I, you know... It's not that it didn't come up, but um, 
it has faults and <clears throat> this could be clouded memory. Um, you know, to his credit, Adam Rubin probably brought it up the most when he was still on the beat. Yes. Um, but even then, I don't know if it was ever quite laid out uh, in the way that Craig did. And it was a you know relatively concise piece that he wrote, but it was, uh, you know, seemed to be well-sourced and had some tidbits in there that aren't things that you typically read about. So, so yeah, yeah, it, it seemed sort of unique in that regard. Um, but getting back to the potentially clouded memory with this stuff, it, it's always seems like the focus has been just on, you know, Sandy Alderson did this. Why did he do that? He's an idiot. You know, that those sorts of columns, um, seem to be pretty commonplace and certainly not to say that he's been uh, with the decisions he's made, but uh, I feel like Craig sort of, you know, pointed the, that column uh, and I keep interchanging column and article because it, it was kind of both, you yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. It, it was a column, but it was a column that, that was reported with, with uh, new information. So he kind of pointed it at ownership Uh because when you paint the front office in the way that he did, uh, it makes them somewhat of a you know sympathetic character. Uh, the, the, you know, according to this, they're going through each winter. Uh, it only specifically referenced this winter, but if it, this is the way it is now, you'd have to assume it was probably the same mm-hmm. over the last few years. So they're going through the winter, knowing that there is some limit to what they can spend, but not really knowing what it is. Uh, you know. We certainly heard Sandy Alderson talk about the fact that he was able to get approval to spend what he did in 2017 under the premise that if things didn't work out, he knew he got a good way to shit that stuff. And, you know, Mets fans weren't happy with returns for that, but he wasn't wrong about the ability to do that. Sounds like such a bizarre way to have to be a general manager. I mean, it, it, it seems like it would be an impossible way to be a general manager. You know, if you look at your team's needs, you have to be able to budget, okay, you know, if these are the six areas our team needs to improve, we have to rank them one through six. But if you don't know the amount of money you have to spend, how can you possibly rank that? Like, you know, you're saying the Mets need to sign bullpen help. I agree with you. So if you put bullpen help at number one, well... If you need to get bullpen help, but you also need a first baseman, and you have no idea what your salary limitations are, do you go after? You know, is Swarzak the only signing they can afford to make? You know, and, right. and it also seems like it's not they they never get an answer. It's not like after they sign Swarzak, someone calls and says, "Okay, well, you know, now you're done." It's always a right. mystery, and so there, I I don't understand how the front office can possibly operate that way. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, I'm going to just make a unrealistic hypothetical point for the sake of making it. But say they, you know, they signed Swarzak as they did. Uh, say you Darvish's market collapses, right? Mm-hmm. And he only takes and the, again, not saying this is actually a thing that would happen. But say he only takes, uh, you know, sixty million over three years for whatever reason. Uh, an extreme example, but somebody right. 
falling much farther than you would expect. Somebody who you wouldn't have in your budget from the outset of an offseason because you know that there's a limit and a guy like that is just not going to be there. You know, is it does it come down to, well, you can have this great starting pitcher who's coming at an extreme discount, uh, but sorry, you signed Anthony Swarzak. You know, that's $7 million each of you know this year and next uh we, we can't do we can't do 27 for swarzak and darvish but you know but we could have done darvish alone right um because and that that's insane like how do you <laughs> yeah if you're operating you, on the idea that there's only x amount of money that and it's a moving target why would you sign any free agent <laughs> because you don't ever know if it's going to be the last one you know it's really right. it's man I mean, even a, a less extreme example than that is Jay Bruce. The rumor came out today, or not rumor, I guess there was a source to it, that Bruce has lowered his asking price from five years to four years. Now, I still uh-huh. don't want Jay Bruce for four years, but Bruce at four years would solve a fair amount of Mets problems. It would give yeah. them somebody who could play first base. It would give them an outfielder if Conforto isn't as healthy as we hope he is. Uh, you know, it's a guy who... who now, you know, removed from us wondering if he was going to be tendered a contract last last offseason, you know, a guy that has shown that that you know that he can he can produce for this team, he seems to have reversed course on hating playing in New York. So all the pieces are starting to line up because now maybe if he's asking for four, well, if he did three at a higher average annual value, maybe then you can get him. You know. I, you the, the conversation should be, be the conversation is there now. Whereas at five years Bruce was never a conversation. At four years now maybe you start having that conversation. But if you don't know what your budget is, you can never have that conversation. The only conversations you can have in this scenario are we have X player lined up. Can we do this? Right. Yeah. It. I. I don't know how. I, it really makes you feel for the Mets front office. I mean, look, they're, they're being they're being compensated. They're not they're not working for free. I understand all of that, but it right. really makes you feel for those guys. Yeah, and feel for us as a fan base. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's sort of it's you know, and Craig's overall point was ownership needs to. Uh, address it somehow and we all know that's not going to happen you know the Mets are not good at uh combating really bad press no <laughs> just not their it's not their thing um if they were good at it uh lol Mets would probably not have become a you know sort of a common uh, well-known phrase uh or or term within the world of baseball. So yeah, I don't, I don't see them actually changing uh, their approach to how they address it with fans. And uh, I, I really expect more of the same indefinitely. Um, maybe we'll be surprised, but it's that, pretty that cr- brief. Yeah. I was going to say, it's pretty crazy that the last two seasons happened in terms of spending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That brief sense of optimism that okay, they, um, you know, they they played, they played. That's not the word I wanted. They paid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
enough money um, to make you think, all right, maybe they can do that again. Uh, That's gone. And, you know, it's they have to do it year in and year out to make you believe it is possible. And gone for no apparent reason. Like, I don't know what necessarily happened in the last two years that has changed all of this. I don't know why in the off season of, you know, in last off season, all of a sudden they could, they could spend so much more, but they can't right now. I know attendance was down at city this year. That doesn't matter as much as it is. Let me rephrase that. That shouldn't be the big deciding factor as to whether they can spend or not. No. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, we're going to close out here with, with a quick email. Um, we're not going to read the whole thing because it's a little bit outdated, but essentially uh, our friend Ryan wrote into us and asked if we would rather have, he just showed the stat line for a second here, of uh, Ian Kinsler in 2017 or Jose Reyes in 2017. And he, you know, he admits he's a Reyes, apo- Reyes apologist, but he said that he would you know, give up relatively little for Reyes versus giving up you know prospects in the Kinsler trade and and while I understand that perspective you know Reyes is a free agent they're going to have to spend money to to sign him and it seems like as crazy as it sounds it seems like the Mets might have more low level prospects than they have league minimum salaries to give out you know for a system that is as depleted as it is it seems like they might you know it, it might make more sense for them to trade away one or two low level prospects than then spend the million dollars on Reyes that could be spent someplace where the team can make a real upgrade for that amount of money. Yeah. Whatever that means. Yeah, it's, uh, you're right. And, you know, I will say that when you just look at the 2017 stats, sure, uh, they look a little more comparable. Um, I don't know. You know, the, the Reyes downturn is hitting. Is not something that just came about, you know. Right. It's been there for a little while, uh, and and it's just a thing where, like, if he, you know, if he's on this current roster and and playing every day, he's gonna get plenty of at bats and probably not be very good. And I don't know. I'm ready to move on. Yeah, I mean, I, I get I'm ready it. To move I get, on for I get so like many reasons. Take, <laughs> right, yeah, but I get like take away the name and just look at the stats and do a comparison. I know that's a thing that people like to do. So, and I'm not even like writing that off. It's just it's a little bit deeper than the 2017 stats uh, when you make that comparison. So, you know, um, you take a guy in his down year, and, and maybe that's the trend. Maybe he doesn't ever bounce back. But you, you take Kinsler in his down year, uh, and. Reyes in a year that he looked like he wasn't a major league hitter for a long time until he kind of sort of salvaged it a little bit. Um, you know, wound up... He wound up much higher than I thought he would, the way he was performing. Yes, uh, but you also have to realize the reason he was able to turn it around was because this was such a piece of shit team that they had no one better to replace him with. Yeah. And, and also part of the reason that he looked halfway decent at the end of the season was because they had no one decent playing playing with him. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a skewed visual as well. 
Right. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not sold. I get the sales pitch. I'm just not sold. Same here. Well, folks, unless major news breaks, next week's show is going to be uh, something we did kind of. We kind of did last year. We did a little bit of a non-Mets show. We'll talk about some music. I know uh, Chris and I have both seen the new Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Chris will give us a brief travelogue for New uh, for New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, and uh, maybe I'll share a recipe or something. A Christmas there you recipe. Go. There we go. So look forward to that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Hello, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. And this week we are approaching the holiday season and that means something of a dead period at least traditionally when it comes to signing players and making moves in baseball after the the winter meetings and we've already had the general manager meetings before that we usually see a downtick in activity as teams pack in for the winter before maybe making some more moves in late January and early February as as spring training uh, talk starts to heat up and the, the teams are going to report in mid-February. So so what, what does this mean for the Mets? All they've done this offseason is sign Anthony Swarzak to a reasonable two-year contract, and they sign Zach Borenstein, who uh, is probably not going to be in the starting lineup on opening day. So the Mets are still checking in a bunch of places, but you can understand why fans are upset. This team... Lost a bunch of games last year, and and they are not doing much to improve the team this year. A lot of hope is being placed in the pitching staff staying healthy. But if you just look at the projected starting lineup right now, it's kind of a hodgepodge of, of guys who you're not too confident in playing full-time. Uh, right now, the, the second baseman would probably be Wilmer Flores, assuming they play as Drupal Cabrera at third base, who they brought back on his option year. And in the outfield, Michael Conforto, we still don't know if he's going to be ready for opening day, so we could see Brandon Nimmo out there, Juan Lagares. You don't know what the Mets can get out of him. So there are a lot of question marks, and the lineup looks pretty ugly, but the Mets are still trying to bring in veterans to help out at, at second base or third base, and help out at first base because Dominic Smith still looked pretty raw at the end of last season. So that's why you hear rumors about the Mets were were apparently working really hard to bring in Jason Kipnis from Cleveland. And they've also been mentioned in talks for Evan Longoria of the Rays, who will reportedly be moved before opening day. And then they just checked in on free agent Adrian Gonzalez and at least with Gonzalez, you have no fear of a contract coming back to hurt the Mets because he's still being paid by the Braves after they accepted a trade from Los, the Los Angeles Dodgers in a, in a salary dump. They sent Matt Kemp, and they get back Adrian Gonzalez, and it helped out both teams in salary relief because of the structure of the contracts. 
So the, the point is, if the Mets sign Adrian Dahls, they won't have to pay him. He struggled with back injury last year. He was just did not hit well at all. But the good news about Gonzalez is that every year before that, in his career, since 2006, he played in over 150 games. So before this back injury season, he was as steady as they come. He's always had a good combination of contact and power. In 2016, he had 111 WRC+. plus. So he would be a steady guy who could just go out there and maybe hit for a little power. He did hit for, for uh, fewer than 20 home runs in 2016. So that, that power that he used to hit, he had a 40 home run season once in San Diego back when Petco Park was where home runs go to die. He used to have incredible power, but it's dropped off a little bit, but he could still go out there and make contact, have good at bats, and just not embarrass himself and and move move the lineup along, driving some runs for the Mets if they were to bring him on. That's assuming he does not struggle with injuries again. Last year, his WRC Plus was 69 in just 71 games. So there's certainly a low floor. If he repeats last year, it would be a disaster, except that the Mets wouldn't have to pay him. They would just have to pay him the minimum because the Braves are picking up everything else. So... Adrian Gonzalez, you could see the Mets doing it just because it doesn't cost anything, just because it's a buy low, and that this guy certainly has a history of production. Maybe because of the name value, the fans lay off the ownership a little bit. I don't see that happening. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the, the fans are smart. They saw what this guy did last year. They saw that he could be washed up, so... There's a possibility that he bounces back and is productive, so the Mets could take that chance. It doesn't cost them much. So certainly that would make sense. The higher upside plays are, are Jason Kipnis and Evan Longoria. The problem with those is that those guys are both on long-term deals. They would cost the Mets prospects to pick up, and more importantly, they are going to be owed money now and in the future. Jason Kipnis coming off uh, injury plague season. He had a neck injury and a hamstring injury, but in 2015 and 2016, the two seasons before that, he was a really excellent player. He played in a bunch of games. He had over 600 plate appearance in each one. He played good defense. He got on base. He hit for a little bit of power and even stole some bases. So before 2017, Kipnis was a a really complete player for two straight seasons and the best part is he's only 30 years old. So unlike Gonzalez, who's 35, it's it's easier to imagine Kipnis bouncing back and giving them giving his new team, if he does get traded, a couple of good seasons. But because the Indians are contenders, they really don't need to trade him. They would be doing this possibly to add to their team in other ways, to get his salary off the books. When he returned to the lineup late last year, they moved him to center field. But... They don't have to have him in center field because they have they're the two infielders they use instead of him. Jose Ramirez is a great player, but the other is Giovanni Urshela, who doesn't hit too much. So they could go back to Ramirez at third base and Urshela at second base, and or uh, sorry, and Kipnis at second base instead of or and with Urshela on the bench and and look elsewhere for outfield help. So. 
so Kipnis, unlike Longoria, who it seems like Tampa Bay really wants to get off the books because his offense is starting to decline and his contract is could be cumbersome for the franchise who is has even lower payroll than the Mets. Longoria is a guy you, you could definitely see being moved this offseason. Kipnis could go either way. Cleveland, he could be a major contributor to another great Cleveland team this year. So the Indians don't have to move him. So that's the good news about Longoria then, is that they, the Tampa Bay doesn't have a lot of leverage because teams know they need to move him because of their, their payroll situation, which is constantly under $80 million, which makes the Mets look like big spenders. The issue with Longoria is that he's, again, coming off a down year in 2017, but he's been a durable player in the past. He's been a consistent home run hitter in the past. He's played great defense in the past. So the Mets, you figure if they could afford the contract, it would make sense, although this is a guy whose contract could come back and bite you because he's 32 years old. How long is his great defense at third going to hold up? How long is he going to be a productive hitter? The last two years, his on-base percentage was under 320, although in 2016, he hit for a lot of power. He hit for 36 home runs compared to just 20 last year when his WRC Plus, just 96. Uh, That's the lowest it had been since pretty much his whole major league career, so you hope that last year was an outlier and not the beginning of the end for the production, the productive period of Longoria's career. Just because the Rays are so willing to move him, this guy, Longoria, makes the most sense for the Mets. And they wouldn't have to give up that many prospects if they eat the whole contract, but it call comes back to the money. There's not a lot of confidence here or elsewhere in the fan base that says the Mets can afford to pay a guy that much. So we could all just be talking about guys that aren't coming to the Mets. So I would say Gonzalez is the most likely guy since he's a free agent. He's not going to cost anything. Followed by Longoria because it looks like the Rays are going to trade him somewhere. Followed by Kipnis because the Indians don't have to trade him. And I think they would demand a pretty pot. Pretty prospect package, which the Mets might not be able to offer. So we could be looking at a pretty ugly Mets opening day roster. And uh, and that's, that's not fun. You wish that the team was a little more aggressive in bringing in guys, but you never know if it's still mid-February and we're talking about the same roster then. Uh, then we'll know we're in for a long summer. But until then, we're still holding out hope that this team does something to improve or else it's, it's, uh, it could be a little ugly, especially on offense this summer. So those are the uh, three big rumored guys that are being uh, passed around. I'm Aaron York. This is Amazing Avenue Audio.
Well, folks, that's going to do it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it, and we hope you have the happiest of New Year's. We'll be back at the end of next week, so we might get one more show in in 2017. We'll see either late 2017 or very, very early into 2018. We'll have our next show, which, as we mentioned, will be a non-Mets show, music, New Zealand, Star Wars, recipes, all sorts of fun stuff like that. So we look forward to you joining us for that. Whenever that happens, I said probably next week, but just in case we're a day or two late due to holiday cheer, uh, don't be too mad at us. So until then, please go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets news, information, rumors, uh, all sorts of stuff. We have everything you could hopefully want for this offseason right there, so check us out and make sure to check us out on social media as well. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Avenue. You can also download this show directly from blogtalkradio.com or from uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. While you are downloading the show from Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. Those things help us quite a bit. And make sure to email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. With any questions or comments, we love to get email. Finally, you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Aaron is at Aaron P. York. And um, that's it for us. Happy holidays, and until next time, let's go Mets.